Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger with this week's message from Story Point Church. What powerful words, huh? If, if more of you means less of me, take everything. You know, that is a, that is a prayer that I'm not sure most of us really want to pray. Take everything? Really? How about take some? Or how about take most, but all? Now, for most of us, we'll probably say, I have surrendered everything, but, you know, that song makes you really think, Lord, what if there are places inside of my heart that I've not given you? What if there are, there are actually, here's what's really funny. Oh, my, it's dawned on me. So I was, uh, I was working on a message in my head. That's usually where they start. And, and it was the idea of what if I truly gave all? What would that look like? So I have a, I'll tell you a story. I have a friend named Dave. <clears throat> Dave was a very successful businessman. He lived in um, Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania, somewhere around the outskirts of Philadelphia. And God called Dave to, to uh, ministry to the homeless, to the drug addicted, to the, the broken, the destitute. And Dave lived in an extremely nice house. He had lots and lots of stuff. And he said, all right, Lord, I, I, will, I will go to where these folks are. And I'll sell everything that I have, and I'll just, I'll just surrender all to you. Six-figure job, the whole works. So he put a sign out in front of his house that he said, estate sale, everything must go. But as he was going through his house, he went into a closet and he realized that he had his hockey stick and a puck that was a memory to him because he was a hockey player in his youth and it, there, there was something connected to it. I don't remember exactly what it was, but, but it was a reminder of a, a trophy or something that he had won from his days playing. And he said... I'm just going to leave this back here because I'm, that, I'm going to keep that and remember it. He said that the whole time people came through and they were just buying stuff, everything. But every time he'd walk by that closet, the Lord would say, I said, oh. He's like, yeah, but it's, that's just a memory. That, that's just a stick. You know, I am. I mean, look, everything's got a tag on it. And every time he'd walk by, the Lord would say, I said, oh. Towards the end of the day, the Lord said it again. He said, okay, God, all right, I get it. And I guess he might have been thinking to himself, it's the end of the day, surely nobody's going to buy it at this point. So he got the stick and got the puck and he took it and he set it outside. And as soon as he did, somebody walked in and said, would you happen to have any hockey stuff? And he said, yeah. And he sold it and he said, as he saw his stick and puck walk out the door, God just gave him this unique peace about being obedient to the gospel. And you know, Dave went on to being a man that could walk into any crack house, any, any room in this desperate, 
Institute part of Philadelphia. It's the Kensington District. If you go online now, just type in Kensington, Pennsylvania, and you'll see that this is a drug-infested, zombie-like place. So many people are strung out on dope that, that they're literally walking along the streets like zombies. And so... He walks freely into these places and they'll look up and they'll, as they're shooting up, say, Pastor, I need help today. I need help. So he'll walk over. He'll stick his hand on him and we'll pray for him. You know, it cost him everything to do that. But I don't think he'd trade it. So just think of your own life. What have you held back? What have you kept. I, I would dare say that that one thing you won't let go of is the one thing that's keeping you from all that God wants to do in you and for you and through you. That one thing. Pray with me. Father, whatever it is in our life that is that one thing, and, and truthfully, Father, for many of us, it's more than one thing. <clears throat> but in your goodness and in your kindness, you you, you knock at the door, and you so gently and so, so Father-like call our name, and you remind us over and over and over that the life that you've called us to live is so far different than anything we could plan for ourselves. So God, whether it's to the ends of the earth or whether it's to the end of our neighborhood, God, whether, whether, whether it's a relationship or a thing, I pray that we would let go and that we would have the boldness and the courage to say, take everything. If more of me means, or more of you means less of me, then that's what I want. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So that's sermon number one. Sermon number two. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. So... Have you ever noticed that the most difficult part of life is people? <laughs> Isn't it true? Have you ever noticed that, that the hardest thing in life is, is getting along with people and seeing eye to eye and actually making relationships work? You want to know why that is? It's because humans are the most complicated and complex organisms on the planet. There is nothing more complicated than a human being, and here's why. We are three parts, and all three parts of ourselves have to get along, and they rarely do. Now, I'm not talking about with other people. I'm talking about with us and us alone. We are body, we are mind, and we are soul, which means we are physical, we are mental, and we are spiritual. Now, the body oftentimes wants to go astray, right? The body wants to do things on its own, and the body wants to create problems for us that by the very nature of problems in the body, it creates problems in the mind and in the soul. You go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I have a bad, bad diagnosis for you. The diagnosis is you're sick, and we don't know what's causing it. You ever had that happen? Your body just does things, and you know how hard it is to be spiritually minded? when your body is acting a fool, right? Do you know how hard it is to keep your mind in the right place when your body just won't fall in line? And that's just the body. 
Sometimes the body's fine and it's the mind that goes crazy. Your mind starts playing tricks on you. It starts telling you things that aren't true or it starts imagining things or, or pretending things are happening. And sometimes you feel like you're out of control. And then you've got the spiritual part. Your mind can be okay and your body can be okay, but spiritually, sometimes you just feel far from God. Or sometimes you, you have that, that interaction where God is saying, I want this, and you're saying, no, I don't want to give that. And so spiritually, you're just all out of whack. What would, be, what would happen in your life if you could get your mind, your body, and your spirit on the same page? That would be bliss, wouldn't it? How many of y'all would like that? Your mind, your body, and your spirit all on the same page. Wouldn't that be awesome? But isn't it true that we don't live like life that way? And a lot of it we don't have any control over. Because we're always, it seems like, addressing issues in all three of those areas. Here's why this is important to recognize now. Because the body, the mind, and the spirit that make up one human being is the very thing that makes relationships complicated. Because I'm trying to get myself straight. I'm trying to figure myself out. And the person over here is trying to figure their self out. And yet we're supposed to be together, working together for some common purpose. Let's just take marriage, for instance. Right? You got two strange, uh, or I say strange people, two messed up people. And that's being gracious, right? Trying to live in the same house, have the same family, doing the right thing. That's a recipe for disaster, right? But with marriage, you're making a covenant with each other, and so till death do you part, there, and there's some physical attraction, so that kind of helps sometimes, or at least it's supposed to, right? But imagine total strangers trying to do God's work together, being very different people. That's exactly what you have in this story in Acts chapter 15. You have a guy named Barnabas, and you have a guy named Paul, and the two of them are friends. The two of them are co-laborers. They've been working for several years together. They have a long history with each other. And then in this moment, there is a sharp disagreement. So sharp that it causes them to part ways in ministry. And so today really is about addressing when people can no longer get along. What do you do about that and how do you react to that? Well, let me tell you the end of the story. You give grace upon grace, and you choose to love even when loving is hard. That's what you do. See, we can go home right now if you can just do that. You want to do that? Let's, let's listen to this. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town we have ever preached Excuse me. In every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see what they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed after being uh, and departed. But after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord, he traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So you have Par, Paul and Barnabas. Now remember, this story is taking place in Antioch. Antioch 
was the place where there were Gentile believers coming to faith, or Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus. And the Jerusalem church, remember last week, they were upset because this new thing was going on and they were, they were concerned that it maybe wasn't from God. And so Barnabas left Jerusalem, went to Antioch, and he found that the grace of God was there. People were becoming believers. And so he sent word back to Jerusalem, said, it's all good. Everything's good. God is at work. And then Barnabas looked around and said, I've got to disciple these people. I've, there's more work to do. So the Bible says that Barnabas went to Tarsus to find Saul. So he searched and searched, found Saul, convinced him to come back and plant his life, at least for the time being, in Antioch so that the gospel would continue to flourish and so that the new believers would grow in their faith. So the two of them had a partnership and things were going just fine, it appears... And then Paul, after some time, which means it could have been a couple of years, Paul says to Barnabas, hey, let's go back to the churches we've already visited and let's preach to them again and let's make sure that they're still on the right track. And Barnabas says, that's a great idea. I like it. It's evangelism and discipleship. Let's go do it. Let's get John Mark to go with us, though, so that he can help us on the journey. And this is where we start to see a schism. Paul says, um, no, let's not call John Mark because John Mark abandoned us on our first missionary journey. So when we first went to these churches, he was with us, but he left us in Pamphylia and he went back to Jerusalem. Now here's the thing, we don't know why he went back. We have no idea. It could have been that he was homesick. Some believe, believe that he was younger and, and he was homesick and wanted to go back to his home in Jerusalem. Some believe that maybe he was being frustrated because there wasn't a lot of, of, of success in that first missionary journey at that time. And so he said, you know what, this is just not me, I'm going to go back. Some thought that maybe there was some uh, immaturity and he just was seeing things differently. But the fact is, we don't know why he left. All we know is he was with them and then he wasn't with them. And we know that Paul felt like he was deserted. Have you ever felt abandoned or deserted by somebody who you thought was with you to the end? That's a yes, right? We've all felt like that, right? You know what happens when somebody deserts us? We put up a wall and we say, you know what? You're never given, you're not getting another chance. You left me already, so we're done. What we see here is the difference between Paul and Barnabas, not just the way that they see things, but the way that they see things because of the way that they were wired, okay? I want you to understand today that in this building, in this place, we are all sitting in the same room, but we are radically different from each other. We've got wirings the way that God made us that if we put ourselves side by side with somebody, we will realize, if we're honest, that you couldn't have two more opposite people in the same room. In fact, Shannon and I talk about this all the time. She will say often, Jeff, could we be more different? You say right, I say left. You say hot, I say cold. You say blue, I say green. It's just constantly as polar opposite as possible. But you know what? What we finally figured out as a husband and wife is that what makes us so different is what causes us to truly work best together as a team. Amen? 
Your differences with the people in this room is what makes us beautiful, not what makes us ugly. But sometimes those differences become the focus of what's going on and they can cause a division and they can cause a separation. Let's, let's look at the differences between these two. Barnabas, who was he? Barnabas was a, a believer who was so captivated by the gospel. He was so caught up in the fact that Jesus came and he lived and he died. That he was worth following, that he really did live out this take everything song. The Bible tells us in Acts that he sold a piece of property. In Acts chapter 4, he sold a piece of property and gave the money to the apostles. He literally laid the money down at their feet. Now listen, in those days you didn't sell property unless you had to or unless you wanted to. But you would only want to if there was something of greater value because property was power and property was wealth. It didn't come easily. And so he was selling this family land and in doing so, he took the money and he laid it down at the apostles' feet. Essentially saying, look, I know there's work to do. I believe in this mission. Here it is. So that tells us a little bit about the kind of person he was. The Bible tells us that his name means son of encouragement. So he was generous. He was encouraging. He was the kind of guy that you wanted to be with you when times were tough. Because he would be the guy who's keep on keeping on. Don't stop. Don't give up. Here, I'll do everything I can do to help you. Do you know people like that? Those are pretty great people to have around, aren't they? He was the guy who gave chance after chance after chance. He was full of grace. And second chances was his middle name. Barnabas, if you'll remember, was actually called into the situation with Ananias and Paul. So what had happened was... <laughs> that's what's funny in my head. So... Paul became a believer. If you remember, he was on his way to Damascus. He saw this shining light, and God confronted him in that moment, said, Saul, Saul, that was his name before Paul, why do you persecute me? And Paul came to this conversion where he, he, he understood the gospel to be true. And when he was converted, he went from being a church persecutor to a church builder. He went from being a, a, an evangelist of Judaism against Christianity to being the greatest evangelist that had ever lived perhaps at that time and yet the church was afraid of him and so this guy named Ananias was working with Paul and Ananias sent for Barnabas and said Barnabas will you come and understand who Paul is so that the church can have your recommendation to not be afraid of him you see how that's working basically Barnabas was the was the mediator between the church and Paul. So he built a bridge there. So Paul's existence in the church was because Barnabas was who he was. His gifts and his skill set of being a person who's kind and generous and, and, and given second chances, that skill set was what put Paul essentially in his place of ministry. Not put him there, but it's what allowed that to happen. So the very thing that was helpful became the very thing that was divisive. Can I say that again for those in the back? The thing that they loved was the thing that caused the trouble. You ever notice that to be true in your own life? 
how the very things that attracted you to someone eventually become the very thing that repels you from them? Because you know the old saying, absence makes the heart grow fonder. The inverse or the converse of that is familiarity breeds contempt. So Paul and Barnabas were radically different. Barnabas was a second chance kind of a guy. Paul was a go get him. The world is dying. We have one life to live. I give everything to you. Let's go as hard and as long and as far as we can possibly go because there's one more yet to hear. He was the Hudson Taylor before Hudson Taylor began his life. Hudson Taylor, go back and read the story. China Inland Mission. His passion was so, uh, so deeply for the Chinese people that he could not look out into the horizon without thinking of how God would send him to the uttermost parts of China so that the gospel would be proclaimed to the Chinese people. He lived and he breathed missions to China. Hudson Taylor, his story, by the way, has inspired thousands upon thousands to do the very same thing in missional work. It was very singularly focused. So Barnabas, stay home, nurture, be kind, uh, uh, bring them all in, give them an extra chance. Paul, if you're not with me, I'm going to leave you in the dust. I love you and I care about you, but I don't have time to fool around with this, you know, feely-feely stuff. We got people to save. You ever know anybody like these? Isn't it funny how we, we get, how we are the way we are, and yet God gives that to us as a gift. I don't want everyone to be like Paul, because if we were, we would never be here. We would always be going. We'd forget about the pastoral shepherding kind of stuff. It wasn't that Paul wasn't a pastor shepherd. It's just his passion was much more apostolic and reaching the lost. Barnabas was evangelistic, but he also wanted to nurture, and he wanted to disciple, and he wanted to grow. We need both kinds of temperaments, don't we? And here's what's great. Those aren't the only two kinds of temperaments. So you want to talk about complex. You put those temperaments and add about two or three or four more kind of temperaments, and that's what you have in any given church. And people wonder why church is so complicated and messy. Amen? People wonder why it's so hard to get along. It's hard to get along because oftentimes what we want is for people to be just like us. We don't want to understand that they're not like us, and that is a good, God-given thing. And when they're not like us, that means they don't see things like us, that, that means they don't act like us, they don't do like us, and they shouldn't. So Paul and Barnabas, radically different. Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take along John Mark. Now again, we don't know why, but knowing the history of Barnabas, we can understand that that's just who he was. We also know from Scripture that um, Barnabas and John Mark were cousins. So there was a personal relationship there. It could be that Barnabas knew something about the story of why John Mark went back to Jerusalem. It could be that Paul didn't really get that. Maybe he didn't understand that. Or it could have been that Paul was so driven by the ministry that when he felt abandoned, he, he said, you know what? You're just not a spiritually mature you just don't have the right kind of faith or whatever. It, who knows? 
except that we know Barnabas and Paul had a sharp disagreement. I want to tell you that relationships don't last in the same form forever for most people. Amen? Relationships usually don't last in the same form with people forever because people change. People mature, hopefully, but also sometimes people kind of get immature. And sometimes circumstance just dictates that relationships change. Now, there are some relationships in life, life that should stay solid and firm forever. Your marriage should be one of those. No matter what's going on, you and your spouse should stay on the same page at all costs for the rest of your life. That, that's what should happen. We know that's difficult sometimes, but other relationships, church relationships, neighbor relationships, those things change. We have a tendency to look at those as a negative and a bad thing. But what if, what if that change actually opened up opportunity for God to do something new and different in your life and in their life? You know, what I find is that Barnabas takes John Mark and they go to Cyprus and they had a fruitful ministry. And it seems as though John Mark matured in his faith probably from the time he spent with Barnabas. Because we know later on in the story that Paul says to young Timothy, hey, send John Mark to see me in Rome. Because he's a fellow believer. He's a faithful servant. So later on in Paul's life, he had a positive thing to say about John Mark. He somewhat regretted that maybe there was this sharp disagreement. It happened, but maybe there was some sort of a, some sort of a I wish I could go back and do a redo. But what that shows is that John Mark was not sinful. It wasn't a sin issue. It wasn't a, he's just a bad person. It wasn't an evil thing. It was just, it literally was a disagreement. And I think maybe John Mark's maturity might have come because Barnabas spent the time with him apart from Saul. And guess what else happened? When Paul left with Silas to go to Cilicia, <laughs> did I say that right? Cilicia in Syria, on their journey, they came across a young man by the name of Timothy, whose mother was a Jew and father was a Greek. And Paul took Timothy under his wing, and Timothy became somewhat of a protege, and Timothy became a true son in the faith. I just wonder if that would have happened in that way had John Mark been with them. I'm thinking maybe not, because I'm thinking Paul would have had his protege, and Timothy just would have been another person. I could be wrong, but I think that because he didn't have that young guy, I think Timothy filled the gap. And look what we have. We have two godly men who worked together hand in hand, split ways, and their, multi, their, their work didn't go, their, their work didn't get less, their work actually multiplied as opposed to just addition. What if when our relationships Go, I say go south, but what if when our relationships cause tension and there's a parting of the ways, what if that is actually part of God's plan and purpose in our life to cause us to be more fruitful or to do something different? It gives an opportunity because the truth is when you're with somebody all the time, you start to lean on them for things that you don't do for yourself anymore. For instance, Shannon and I, 
I keep using us as an example. It's just like nothing is, is, is easier than a marriage to uh, exemplify how a relationship can be good or, or, or strained, right? I mean, that's like the most difficult relationship you'll ever have, I think, and the most rewarding relationship. But I found that I don't even know how to do checkbook anymore. I mean, I, I literally don't even know how much money I make. I, I have no idea. She handles all of that stuff. If she were, ever, were, were to ever, ever leave, I would be in a serious hurt. I mean, she could drain everything, and I wouldn't even know, right? Be, I'm just joking. But be, because I've become dependent upon her for those things. Now, take me back to college. Man, I did all of that stuff. I knew where every penny went. I knew what all of the, all of the bank statements now, since she does it, I don't. And if she had to run a lawnmower, I think she would be in shock, right? Now, she, she could figure it out, but she doesn't have to because that's, that's what... Here's the thing. When you're, in a, when you're in a working relationship with somebody, you start to lean on them for different things, and that part of your skill set seems to either be ignored or, or, or it just kind of lessens because you don't have to. When God does something, or when something happens that separates you, you are now in a brand new place where you have to do some things you didn't do before, and sometimes that very act of doing something new sparks a new kind of life inside of you, and it sparks something that you never knew existed, and so many times, if you look at it the right way, it produces life as opposed to death. Does that make sense? So what I'm trying to say is, as a people, as a church, as an individual with friends and family, when relationships go south, when there's that conflict and there's a division, sometimes that can be a gift to them and to us. But here's the caveat, okay? The caveat, caveat is, and I think this is why God put this in His... In his in his word, the caveat is that even in the sharp disagreement, Paul and Barnabas still loved each other, and they still gave each other grace, and they were still partners in ministry. It was just separate kinds of ministry. Don't forget that. You and I never have the luxury of being unloving to a brother or sister in Christ. We don't get that luxury. Furthermore, we don't ever get the luxury of being ungraceful. I don't even know if that's a word. We don't have the, the luxury of not giving grace. That's not ours. Why? Because we've received grace freely, so grace is what we freely give. Now, we may have a point where, like Paul, we say, you know what, I just can't work with you. I just can't do it. That doesn't mean that he didn't give him grace. What that means is he said, look, in our current situation, it's not going to work. But you go your way. I'm going to bless you. And I'll go my way. You bless me. We'll work separately, but both together for the kingdom of God. So let me give you a couple of, of check marks. When it's relationships go south, number one, do so with love because love covers over a multitude of sins right 
So love always has to be present. If you find yourself not loving the person that there's some sort of a split with, that's where you have to check your own heart. It is not their fault if you don't love them. Can I say that again? It is not their fault if you don't love them. It is your fault if you don't love them. When I say fault, you own that. It's yours to deal with, not theirs. No matter what they do, the way that you love them is completely and totally up to you. Now, how can you love someone when you have such a sharp disagreement? Well, the first thing is recognize that personality does not mean sin. Just because you're different doesn't mean that they're an evil, sinful, awful person. And sometimes that's what we do, isn't it? We villainize people. They're, and look, this is usually not like a all of a sudden jump off a cliff kind of thing. That it's not there and then all of a sudden. This is usually something that's gradual. It's a tension that keeps building and building and building. We keep stacking it away and then it just explodes. That's usually the way this thing works. Here's the deal. We should be honest enough to say, I recognize that you are so different that that difference is, 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 is kind of irritating to me, but I'm going to trust that what's different is covered by God's grace. Just like I have something that's different. So number one, we can't villainize, we can't call somebody evil because they're just different. When I say different, I'm not talking about sin issues, I'm talking about personality issues, right? The second thing is, we need to recognize that a person who sees things different or who does things different is a gift, not a curse. We need to learn to, to lean upon that, not reject it. Here's the third thing. Almost invariably, it's not all their fault and none mine. Right? So we're really, really good about telling the story from our own perspective. Here's what happened. He did this, or she did this, and then this, and this, and this, and we paint this villain picture, and we're the hero in the story every single time. Right? Am I preaching to you or just me? We're the, we're the hero of the story every single time. We need to recognize that nobody's the hero every single time. Why? Because you, like me, are faulty in different things. You know, one of the best parts about real family is that they know you sometimes better than you know yourself. And you'll hear this, oh, that's just the way he is. Uh, that's, why, that's why First Baptist is so cool to hang around. Because there are times when, I, when, when, when they'll say graciously, oh, don't worry about that. That's just, they've been like that 20 years. It's like, how do you not get irritated? Well, it's just because that's what they do. I mean, they just learn that relationship is more important than those little irritants. When we get old, we will value our friends much more. Here's why. The older you get, the more you see your friends die, and the more you realize that friends are the most precious things or precious uh, relationships in your life, right? Right? And you realize, hey, it's not, it's not, we don't need to worry about those silly things because those silly things, they don't mean a lot at the end of, day, end of the day. So when we recognize this about the relationships, we can recognize that we give grace 
And then the second, we give love. I say we give love, and then we give grace. Grace means it's unmerited favor. It's you getting what you don't deserve, right? Third thing, don't burn a bridge. This one's hard for me to learn. I had to learn this the hard way and the long way. See, because I... When you, when you do something that, that's so offensive that, you know, I'll just, like, cut you off and I'll stick a piece of dynamite on the bridge and, like, I don't want a relationship with you ever again. What I've had to learn in my life is that that's really not fair to them or to me. Right? When you burn a bridge, you ba you're basically saying, don't, there, there's no room for you to ever come back in relationship. And then sometimes if we burn a bridge, we then want to make it difficult for them to be back. What if God did that to you? What if God burned the bridge on you when you went astray? No. God had a bridge, and that bridge is Jesus. And it was built with love, and it's oozing with grace. And even though we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So don't burn bridges. That means when somebody departs, somebody separates, when there's a schism, when there's a sharp disagreement, as you watch them walk away, there should be in your heart this desire that one day, one day, maybe we can resolve this in a way that will be honoring to Jesus. Sometimes the separation's good, but there should always be a longing for restoration to the very best of our ability. Why? Because everybody's been in a family where somebody in the family has a, such a bitter dispute that when the two people are in the same room, it makes everybody uncomfortable. You want to know who makes most uncomfortable when it's kids who are having a dispute? It makes the mom and the dad uncomfortable. I've been with families and the mom and the dad have said, what I want more than anything else in life is for my two sons to love each other. I want my daughters to be able to be in the same room and be kind to each other. Nothing breaks a father's heart like children who don't get along. And I would dare say that nothing pangs the heart of God more than when his children won't get along. So, give love, give grace, don't burn a bridge, recognize that it's not all just their fault. Now, it might be mostly their fault. I will give you that. Sometimes it's all their fault. But usually, usually there's a little... So you look in the mirror and you say, okay, what did I do wrong? And you know what? Sometimes nobody did anything wrong. It's just two different people trying to go two different directions holding hands. You ever taken a picture where you had like 10 people? They all held hands. And you're going to do like one of those Toyota moments where everybody jumps at the same time. You ever done that? You know how hard that is to all jump at the same time holding hands? It's almost impossible. Why? Because you need your hands to jump. That's why. And very rarely will you get a complete perfect picture with everybody in sync together. If that's not possible for a picture, how do we think it's possible as the, for the church to never have disagreements and disputes and to always do things perfectly and right? What I want to say to you today is this. I got a call from somebody uh, two weeks ago. And they said, hey, Jeff, can we talk? I said, yeah, sure, let's talk. They said, you know, I, I left the church because I, I just, 
I don't even know why. I'm not even sure what happened. But I'm not sure I handled it the right way. And I just wanted to call and make sure we were good. And as I talked with him, I said, you know, we are good, number one, because you've called to say, hey, are we good? That in my book tells me, yes, we're in a good spot. But number two, the very fact that the maturity of your life wants to be right with other people who you love tells me that God is at work. How can we not be right? And I say that who we have separated ways with and when we're looking back, we don't even know why it happened. We don't remember what the argument was about. We don't remember what the, what the, the, the offense was. It just, it was something there that we just went separate. And now, truthfully, there's a longing. If you really love them, there's a longing for a reconciliation. And sometimes it just takes you picking up the phone saying, hey... I don't even know what it was, but can we just start over? Can we just begin again? Can I tell you, folks, there's nothing better in life than being right with people. Nothing. There's nothing better than being able to say, I do not hate anyone. I don't hold a grudge against anyone. I'm not even offended by anyone. You can... You can You can spit on my face and I'm still going to love you because I needed grace and so I'm going to give grace. There's no better place in life to be. And so can I invite you to move a step closer to being that kind of person? Can I invite you today? I I know that for some of us, there's a laundry list of people who we've got issues with. Listen, I get it. Trust me, I get it. But can I just invite you to start checking people off the list? Now, I don't mean like checking people off the list. I mean, I mean, checking people off the list go, you know what? Out of these 20 people, I'm not really angry at this one, this one, this one, this one, this one. I actually just kind of miss their, their friendship. But for these people, I'm going to need to get some work done in my own heart. Jesus actually had a plan for that. You want to know what it was? He said, pray for those who persecute you. The way that your heart is for the people that you have something against is to pray for them, but to pray that God would bless them. That's the prayer. God, I pray that you would bless them. Now, sometimes, honestly, you got to pray it through gritted teeth. God, I pray you'd bless them. Bless them, God. If you don't bless them, I'm going to bless them, right? I mean... You know, you know what I'm saying, right? But as you pray for God to bless someone, you realize that you can't truly pray for God to bless them without your heart changing to where you want to see them blessed. In my life, this is what works. And I think that's because Jesus said that is what we're to do. God bless them. God, I want my heart to be right with them because I want my heart to be right with you. So in this time, you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment. You remember we started by saying the soil of your heart will determine what grows there. Will you determine today to give a year of jubilee to all the people that have offended you 
or that you have been in a broken relationship with. Ask God to help you to love them and ask God to help them to love you. And then set yourself free. Set yourself free from holding on to those grudges, holding on to that bitterness, holding on to that hurt. Now, I know some people are harder to forgive than others. But you know what? Maybe they're not Satan incarnate after all. Maybe there is just a personality difference. This morning, if you're here and you've not ever trusted Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of your life, I want to invite you to do that. It is by grace that you are saved through faith alone, not of your works, so that none of us can brag or boast on what we've done before God. We can only say to Him, God, I need you. Have mercy on me. Father in heaven, I pray this day that you would truly help us to recognize that human personality causes so much conflict. But God, you are a God who's commanded and you've made a way for peace. This is my prayer for your people today, that we would have peace, peace with you and peace with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me today? As Colton leads us in this last song, I want to invite you just to Examine the different rooms of your heart and let him, let him sweep it out, you know? Let him do what he's got to do. I promise.